Good morning. On this bowl of question crunch, Dr. Tracy is here to answer questions about being a bodybuilding optometrist who might also believe that resistance is futile. <laughs> Tracy, you have been my friend for what a million years, a million lifetimes. Is that the is that the number? Um, I'm gonna say 2006, give or take, was about give or take is about the time frame we met. Yeah, so, so. a million years. <laughs> so yeah, so we're about 15 years. That's crazy to think of it that way. That's a long time. <laughs> I mean. 2021 like you know when you look back at january and you remember all the bernie memes the bernie mittens memes that feels like a long time ago so uh 15 years ah, damn it <laughs> the past few years have been nuts um yeah, have, that just felt like its own decade known you for more than 10 <laughs> right um and uh it's it's been a blast watching all of the changes that you've gone through, like from uh, occupation to hobbies to just it's it's a fun. I don't want to say evolution, uh, just a really fun story to follow. And one of my favorite things is when you became an optometrist. Um, how was that? What what got you into optometry? When did when did you decide, man, I want to look at everyone's eyes up close? <laughs> So, I mean, growing up, I have always had an affinity for mathematics, science, and psychology. And so kind of the convergence of a lot of those are, is the medical field. And so I originally wanted to be like a doctor of some sort. And um, in college, did a lot of shadowing, as anyone should do when they're interested in a career, is kind of see what it's all about to make sure you know what you're getting into. And... Oof, it did not look like something for me. It was very cutthroat and they looked really upset and angry all the time. And I'm like, ooh, I don't want that. And so I graduated with a bachelor's in psychology after like three years because I'm insane. And I had no idea, no idea what I wanted to do when I abandoned the idea of becoming a medical doctor. And literally I'm just sitting there graduation day next to my friend. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> and she goes, I got into UC Berkeley optometry. I'm going to be an optometrist. And I'm like, word? She's like, word. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, it's a really good career. It's a doctorate thing. You get to help people, you know, science and math, all that stuff. But the best part is it's not gross. <laughs> you don't have like smelly things, bloody things. I'm like, hmm, okay. <laughs> and so that's honestly where the journey started for me where I'm like so now I reach out to optometrists and be like hey can I just see what your career is all about you know ask the questions and the more I learned about optometry the more I learned that it was super um female friendly like you know you generally don't have emergency hours you can choose not to work weekends if you don't want to um, you know, you're never really dealing with a major life-threatening thing all the time, so you don't have to go through the harder parts of being a specialized medical doctor sometimes, which is delivering some really bad news. I mean, I still have to deliver bad news, but again, I don't ever have to tell anyone they're going to die, you know, or have to deal with that, and, and that means tough. Um, again, surgeries, yada, yada. I do minor surgeries, but nothing, like, invasive by any means. 
Um, so overall risk is really low, your liability is low, and um, it's, again, it's a very female-dominated industry these days, which means that it's very uh, geared towards having families, which at the time was important for me to set up, and these days I'm like, yeah, no, I'm good, good with the kiddo thing, <laughs> so, but I liked having the option that it was a career that was, you know, family-friendly, so that's I refuse. I refuse to believe that you don't handle bloody, smelly things. Um, I do handle bloody, smelly things, but like, I don't know. It's not as um, I don't know. The it, it's not as as freaky, I guess. Or like, I mean, I love bloody, bloody and weird crap all the time. But I remember there <laughs> was. I mean, like, I don't want to like. There are some body parts that I don't want to be in. Yeah. <laughs> You know what's nice is I get to go mostly face up and there's only so much disgust that can happen here I think I would prefer that over the disgust from the neck down <laughs> so I'm like just hey. give you a little a, you know bust level right the the shoulders and up <laughs> yep. Yep. um yeah. I like it that I like it that you went from psychology to optometry because you basically went from I want to know how you see things literally though <laughs> That was definitely one of the things, too, is that, you know, honestly, psychology bachelors in general are, oh, I don't want to say it's a not worthwhile bachelors to get. But you can. No one's judging you here. <laughs> I mean, it's like getting a bachelor's in communications or international studies. You're not going to get a specialized job in your industry with that. You got to take it to the next level. And so, and psychology is kind of an easier one. <laughs> it's a fun one, but you can't really do much with it. But one of the, but one of my favorite classes was definitely, um, it's a split between behavioral psychology and the visual part. Um, and it's just fascinating that, you know, there really are two halves to vision, the eyeballs and the visual cortex. And so in psychology, you mostly focus on the visual cortex, how your brain will erase things that you perceive. Um, so I, I think that's fascinating. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of fun eye tricks and eye shows that you can watch. You're like, oh, I didn't see that, you know, and, and it's all brain stuff. And then of course, you know, in, in optometry school, we learn mostly about the organ eye with then, you know, kind of more of a secondary in terms of visual cortex. And, and it's fun getting to explain this to my patients. I do a lot of educating in the chair, like, that's part of, I'm just extraordinarily lucky to have the opportunities that I do right now. Um, but yeah, I do a lot of education in the chair where I'm showing my patients, teaching my patients, hey, this is your eyeball, you know, and this is where, you know, where my limitations are, where I'm like, I can get your eyes perfect, but it's really hard for me to start training your visual cortex. And, you know, we've got specialists for that and to explain where that, where that line is drawn. Where does vision from your eyes stop and vision from your mind begin? And I think it's really cool. I, I enjoy my job a lot. I think it's a lot of fun. That is kind of nuts. I <laughs> um, I, I, I wonder, because like I, I usually teach people stuff with cartoons. And so I'm just like, how would I do that? Would I have like a cartoon? I, I imagine, um, you know, on Jurassic Park, when the little DNA guy shows up, and I like to think that when you're talking to someone, the little eyeball shows up and they're like, hey, is it dinosaur DNA? Or like <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm a pretty animated character in the exam room anyway. And so that that's pretty accurate. Um, 
Yeah, my, my style of care is, again, kind of trying to be a teacher and trying to teach my patients something about their eyes and all that other stuff. And, you know, some patients aren't born for it. A lot of them, they, you know, their concept of eye care is give me my glasses and my prescription and let me walk out the door so I can go buy online. Um, but what I do at my practice, again, is highly specialized. It's, it's really up there. And so our appointment times are, you know, are, the bricks are long just to give each doctor the opportunity to practice to their the, their potential, which is something that, again, we really don't see anywhere anymore when it comes to healthcare. Vast majority are just churn and burn machines, and the doctors are miserable for it. None of them ever got into this for that. So, like I said, we're just very lucky at my practice that we have the time and opportunity to do that. And the caliber of our doctors care and like that sort of thing because then there are doctors who don't want to do that either they're like why would i want to talk to a patient <laughs> <laughs> ew <laughs> why why wouldn't they want to talk I, well i guess if it's just you know get your glasses and get out no i get it <laughs> I, I i would understand it. i mean i one of my favorite things about my job is just i haven't uh, i don't get to deal with customers too often and it's pretty delightful so i could understand that <laughs> Yes, they're like the best and worst part of the job are the exact same thing. The best part of my job are those patients. The absolute worst part of my job are the patients. <laughs> which one you get, because sometimes you get, yeah, you're dealing with the public and you get some real nasty, you get the entitled folks, you know, people that you just don't vibe with, get racist, you know, I'm a, I'm a female, you know, minority, <laughs> ethnic minority, and relatively, I'm young. And so every now and then I will get the perfect trifecta of this sexist, racist, ages, white male. <laughs> oh, they're always white male. And it's just like, oh, oh, we're gonna have one of those days, aren't we? What <laughs> or, what has what has that uh, how has that gone? I mean, you don't have to you don't have to let us know, but I would like to know. I would like to hear this because this would be an experience that I would not be as a uh, <laughs> as a white male, uh, heterosexual, cisgender male, uh, this is an experience that I would never encounter. Oh gosh, so so many. Um, but you know, when I walk in and and you know when I introduce myself, sometimes people just cut me off and go, "I didn't know little girls work here," which was, you know, probably last month that someone said that to me. I've had patients, you know, I'm like, hello, I'm Dr. Ho. Oh, konnichiwa. And I'm like, oh yeah, I've really been to, I haven't been to Korea. And I'm like, okay. Um, but, but yeah. Holy you shit. Have, yeah, you can, <laughs> you can sense it. Um, the level of belittling and disrespect they show you is impressive. Or like, well, my last doctor, you know, did this and that. And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, here? And, you know, especially when... I think part of it that's tough is that I am trained with a residency, which only 10% optometrists have. And so even among optometrists, I have further training and further advancement of my knowledge base. And so when they're like, oh, but this guy, doctor, I saw, yeah, he was amazing. He told me all these things. And I'm like, I am sitting right here telling you that you need to get your eyes under control because you have a disease that I can absolutely manage and, and take care of. And they're just like, now nah, the other guy said I was fine. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> so it sucks sometimes, but you know, it is what it is. It's, it's part of, part of life, I guess. So it kind of, it becomes very normalized for you. 
<laughs> the biddling and the re- the the uh, I don't know. It it almost sounds like someone is treating you like a reboot Spider Man, where it's like, oh, but the previous Spider Man did this, and you're like, yeah, but I'm Spider Man now. Like <laughs> the one that like kills me though is when they call me by my first name. Thanks, Tracy. And I'm like, it's Doctor Ho. Thanks. <laughs> you know. How do they know your? Oh, I guess they go on the website and see your first name, right? And it's it's on my badge, you know. Oh. It, it's not. I mean, first names aren't a secret by any means, but they choose to call you that. And for some patients, it's totally fine, you know, like, especially if we're like hella vibing. I love patients that I vibe with, but, um, and you know, if they call me Trace, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let that go, <laughs> you know, or if they're really nice, I'm going to let that go. But if they've been an a-hole the entire time and fought me on everything during this examination and they call me Tracy, oh, that's just, that's purposeful. <laughs> so. I don't know. I feel like if I if I did the work to get the doctor term, I'd want everyone to call me a doctor. I think I even told the like the my last guest that uh, I would even my, I would ask my mom to call me a doctor. My mom would call me and be like, uh, "That is doctor, uh, oh my God. <laughs> doctor Sunshine," to, or like whatever nickname she gives me. And I'm like, "That's doctor Sunshine Bear to you, please. Thank you." <laughs> And that's totally okay. You know, some folks are, are down that road. I mean, some some of times they, they really don't want to use their doctorate at all. There's like, oh, no, please call me Tracy or please, you know, they'll correct folks and say, just go with that. Uh, for me, I like to use my doctor title only when I'm working with patients. Um, and if I'm working with a vendor, because I'm also a business owner. Um, and so that and, and there's a there's a purpose to that. It's not so much a power play, but you need to establish a relationship and that relationship needs to be clear. And so the relationship I have with a patient is, hey, I am kind of the authority here. And, you know, while your your opinion is extraordinarily important to your overall care, let's be clear on, on who's who's the doctor here. Um, and then from a business standpoint, uh, same thing you know, that using my doctor title has a purpose is that, hey, you're coming to me to sell your products. Um, let's make sure that we're clear on who gets to call the shots here. But with everybody else, I I don't like to use the doctor title. It feels like I'm trying to, to I don't know, make myself bigger than someone else. I, I don't know. I, and that's, that's definitely not me. Oh, I definitely <laughs> would. <laughs> Yeah, like like I said, it's 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 all good, you know. Uh, when I see a patient has a doctorate, I immediately call them doctor last name, and I let them give me permission or prefer preference in terms of first names. Um, but yeah, yeah, like no, I definitely default to doctor Bubba. So, yeah. Are you saying that? Uh, are you saying that your knowledge is more superior than uh, my Google search? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm pretty good at the Googles. <laughs> Google is such a fascinating because sometimes I'll tell patients, yes, here is the name of the condition. Please go Google it because I cannot teach you enough about this in the time that we have. Um, other time, but then, you know, I usually warn them. I'm like, hey, but you're also like on the mild spectrum. Please don't freak out when you see all the horrible spectrum side of it. Um, some patients come in after they Google and, you know, they, they come in. Um, and I think that's amazing. I, I love when that happens when Google actually scares the patient enough to come in to see us for something that's really important. Um, and so that's always cool. Um, but yeah, and then you have the dumb ones where it's just like, oh, 
I can't combine my like nine years of education and knowledge into these five minute section to tell you why you're wrong. And so I'm just gonna, yeah, this is not gonna go well. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's, it's funny because I'm like, I, I've, I've had to deal with that where, you know, I, I'm not a doctor, but uh, where I will show them, I'll show folks math. And one of my favorite examples is when I was arguing with a, a Trump supporter and they're like, show me proof of him lying. And I was like, all right, cool. So I went to, I Googled something and it brought me to CNN. And I was like, no, they'll call that a lie. And then I went to uh, the citation that took me to a website that was nonpartisan. And I showed them it, and they're like, oh, that's just math. That's not proof. And I'm like, what? <laughs> that's exactly what that is. <laughs> math <Yeah>. is proof. <laughs> you know, there isn't. So one of the shows I really love to watch is Criminal Minds. And there's an episode where they go to Roswell, New Mexico to talk to um, kind of like this QAnon group. Um, just like, I mean, this was back in the day. So I think it was just like, like, oh, you know, the government's out to get us type of group. Sure. And it was a really good episode that aged extraordinarily well where, you know, there's a scene where the psychologist on the team is talking to the lead um, of this group saying, you know, nothing I can say can provide you any proof because this is the fallacy that you're operating off of, which is literally impossible to overcome if you're using this type of logic. And it was just like, Whoa. <laughs> Essentially, in one little scene, made it very clear to me why you can't win based on logic, because their logic is set up very differently. So highly recommend. It's one of the later seasons. Um, it's a Ros the, I don't think they go to Roswell, New Mexico too often. But yeah, it's one of the later scenes where they have a psychologist on the team. So it's very good. I mean, I, th I saw the, and I, I mentioned it on the last episode too. This is the weird thing about recording two bowls of Question Crunch back to back, because I feel like I'm repeating stuff, but uh, uh, the Flat Earth move documentary on Netflix was pretty good in, this, in that same way. I did not even know about the term uh, Dunning-Kruger effect, but uh, ever since then, I'm just like, I throw it around all the time. <laughs> just the idea of a... Uh, um, where folks who don't know enough information still have the confidence as if they do. And it's like, how? How do you have that confidence? <laughs> I agree. It's really terrifying right now how many folks who don't have a, a, a background in science and all this stuff is saying, well, there's, well, you know, follow science. It's like, but we are. You should do your own research. It's like, I am a, literally a researcher. <laughs> or, or like, you know, well, you know, all these things aren't proven. It's like you have no basis of understanding of any of this and you make like you are. And it's it's a little bit concerning. Um, and I had this one lady, I forgot what she was saying. She was like, hey, don't you think that staying at home is going to weaken our immune systems because we don't have exposure? I'm like, no, because that's not at all how immunity works. And she goes, so that's your opinion. And I'm like, I am a literal doctor who studies pathology and disease. And yes, this is my opinion based on all of this knowledge and research. And I'm like, what the F? <laughs> like, let's get back to your eye exam. We have gone off track. <laughs> well, Speaking of eye exams, uh, which fantasy monster would be more willing to give an eye exam to? 
um, a, a, a kraken or a kraken? No, a kraken. It's a kraken. Come on. Or a cyclops. Well, considering I already give eye exams to cycloptic people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but cyclops are giant. Ah. I mean, so are krakens, though. Yeah, correct. I like I like the simplicity of of just the one giant eyeball and and all the fun things that could I, I find the cyclops familiar, so I feel like I could do a really good job on a cyclopic eye exam. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's that's honestly always my goal is to do a really good job on things. So my like I said, my expertise is more in the more geriatric range with disease. My partner is the complete opposite. Her is in developmental and children, and so. I hate when there's a four-year-old on my schedule. And the reason I hate it is not because I don't like children or that I'm It sounds like it. Like <laughs> now I'm actually pretty good with kids. I, you know, I'm not I can tone down and, and people and you know just do 110% and you know do the song and dance to entertain the children and whatnot. But the real reason I don't like to see children for eye exams is simply because I'm not good at it. I'm not good at it. I feel like I'm just going through the motions and I'm pretending when I know that my partner who has studied this, who has developed research and published papers is right on the other side of my wall. And I'm like, why did they not schedule this child with her? She is an expert and, you know, and she feels the same when she's with like a brand new 85 year old and she's like, please kill me. And I'm like, oh, that's easy. Bring them on, you know. And so, you know, I, the most the best parts of the job is when you do a good, complete, thorough job. And so that is why I will take the Cyclops. He's more humanoid, more most likely to have more human like eyes and. He's only got the one, so I don't have to worry about all the problems that come with two eyes. He's big, so probably don't even need to dilate him. I can see right in there. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like yeah, yeah. Good job the, on a cyclops. <laughs> that is totally understandable. I mean, I, I, you, you, you are. Uh, I think that that would be much more familiar than a giant cephalopod or whatever kind of kraken you want to have. I, because I mean. You have the Kraken on uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, and that's more squid-like versus uh, the Kraken on uh, Clash of the Titans, which is uh, just a giant amphibious monster. Yeah, I'm not even sure what eye situation we're even dealing with on a Kraken. <laughs> uh -huh. I'm like, like, like we got two uh, traditionally, I guess, and they're they're like on opposite sides of the head. <laughs> I don't know what's happening here. <laughs> when I wrote the question, I assumed it was a giant squid. That's where my mind went immediately, just because I love giant squid. I love yeah. them. Plus, they're underwater, so that's that's complicated, slippery. Like, just mm -hmm. this whole, the mechanics of the whole exam sound very difficult. And, you know, I have to get close to them, and I can see how that would work real well with a cyclops, but with a cephalopod, like, I can just see myself tripping over their legs. I mean, humans only have two, and you better believe when people are manspreading, I hit some knees, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> is, is that an often thing? Like, I, I, that's just a weird thing to be like, uh, I'm at the doctor's office, let me just uh, spread out. Oh, yes, it's always, it's always men. They, they like to manspread, <laughs> you know? I guess they need space. <laughs> I feel like whenever I'm around doctors, I feel like I curl up like a dead spider. Just so I'm like, I don't want to be here. <laughs>
Oh man, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, women will cross their legs, and that can be problematic with the the table because, again, I'm gonna that unless I tell them to uncross their legs, this table is about to smash into your knee. And then for men, um, I don't know with the man spreading thing. I figure that's just natural, so I just like go around. I actually don't mind it too much because that brings their knees down, and I'm just. I've, I've hit a lot of knees and I felt really bad about it. So I was paranoid about breaking someone's knees, <laughs> especially since I, again, I'm super animated during my exams. And so that means I talk fast, I move fast, which means whammo, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> scale back sometimes. <laughs> and you say you like to work with, you know, 80 year old people. So there's lots of busted knees, the, the potential for a lot of busted knees. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And so, and you know, these are a lot of folks who can't hear me either. And so I usually, I just try to pace with their tone. And so if I can hear someone who's talking slower, I'll usually start slowing down to match them. If I meet a patient who talks as fast as I am, it's hilarious because we just start talking faster and faster and faster and it just escalates. So it's a lot of fun, uh, you know, just all the different people you meet and the, again, you know, you vibe with different ones. Like sometimes you're vibing with a patient so well that you can totally crack what would probably be an inappropriate joke in any other situation. And they just laugh or the even better, they throw it right back at you. And I'm like, I'm gonna give you a nice little fist bump, bud. I like you. <laughs> so, <laughs> I've, I've I last time I was at a dentist. Well, one of the recent times I went to the dentist, I like to listen to my music just so I can, you know, not listen to all the stuff that's being done. And I remember my dentist was like, "Are you listening to Moana?" And I'm like, "Cause I, I I listen to Disney music because that's a good way of escaping. Like that I can actually visualize shit while they're doing that. So I'm like, it, it keeps my imagination out." And I was like, "Yes, yes, I am." And there are some times where the doctor is playing music, and I'm like, "That music's better. I'm gonna turn my music off." <laughs> I it's funny because I'm I'm by my nature quite introverted but I'm also like a loud introvert <laughs> so put me in my element and I just you know light up and, and I think it's just funny because patients are always surprised like they, they comment that it is so unusual to have a doctor as animated and social and you know open with them and then outside of outside of you know the exam lane, I'm like nobody talked to me, hoodie up, <laughs> you know. And so you know, and in a doctor's office, or at least, well, my dentist is. Um, he actually just very recently uh, purchased his own practice as well, like way across town. So he used to be right next to me. Now he's like thirty minutes away. So I'm like, mm. but I'm gonna follow him because you know, uh, part of it is I, I understand exactly what he's going through right now. And I just want to stay there and talk to him, you know, and it's like, but he's also in my mouth. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> That's weird. I can't imagine. <laughs> so you said go, uh, what he's going through right now. And that also makes me think about what you're going through right now. And um, how has COVID and the pandemic impacted uh, <laughs> how you work? I feel so guilty saying this, but it has been a blessing to our business in a lot of ways. Some uh -oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and when it when this all kind of came out, some industries flourished and some industries died. And 
you know, it's, it's interesting because back in the day when we were in optometry school, they said that optometry was a good career to have because it's very, um, re it's recession proof that through every recession that has happened, that optometry continues to survive, if not, if not do kind of well. And so, you know, we shut down for 12 weeks, which was a heartbreaking, terrible, you know, number of weeks, because for most businesses, that is more than enough time to just completely bankrupt you. And, and you know, but, um, you know, one of the things that I've been lucky about is that I'm also financially quite savvy and had been saving a really large safety net, one that I never expected ever in a million years that we'd have to tap as soon as we did. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, gosh, like I still think of that day and it, it's hard to fight back the tears on that day where I couldn't even face my employees to tell them we have to shut our doors. Like that was terrifying. And I didn't know if we were going to survive, but, um, that gave me a lot of time, like a lot of time. Whereas most of my employees I sent home, I actually decided to continue to pay them their full wages while we were shut down. Um, because I knew they needed it more than I did. Um, and so we did that, and, but I still continued going to the office for 40, 60 hours a week. And that allowed me time to not do the doctor thing, but do the business thing. And so after developing, spending all those hours on my business, I figured out better strategies, better ways to improve inefficiencies. And so when we reopened and relaunched, I made hard calls and hard decisions that I knew we always had to make and um, just started running the business more efficiently. I've been blessed with a high demand area, a demand that is difficult to meet. And when you're in that kind of situation, the smartest thing to do is drop the ones that are not profitable, which is really, it's, it's tough because you get into this to help people and the people who need the most help are the ones who can't afford it. But at the same time, we weren't gonna survive if we kept taking those plans and the opportunity was there. And so by scaling down, we're seeing less patients at a higher quality and we're getting paid better, which again, I have to always think I gotta take care of my family first and my family is my employees. You know, I got 18 kids, <laughs> that's what I say when I don't want kids. It's because I already have kids. I have 18 of them. Half of them are old enough to be my parents. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's one of the joys of being a business owner sometimes is knowing that you are supporting these families, their kids, where they go, you know, as they reach retirement, that your influence reaches quite far. And so I had to they've always been the, my, my highest priority, my employees. And so, yeah, as hard as the changes were, someone had to give. And so, and I always, I comfort myself by saying there are other doctors in the area, <laughs> but I do feel bad because I know that we're really good, but we're not the only game in town, so. Um, you, right now you said that your, uh, your crew is a, a family with, you know, you consider them your kids, um, but, Previously, when we talked, you made the uh, you call you, you talked about them as if they're a crew on your ship and you're the captain. Um, <laughs> which which one is more real? I mean, I'm assuming that's a family, but in my head, I like to think that you're a captain of a ship. That's my visual. Um, yeah, I would say captain of a ship is more accurate um, than say because in with families, you don't really have someone who's majorly in charge you know there's a lot of autonomy people are off sure. doing their own thing 
you take care of them, but at the end of the day, you don't have a lot of control there. But in a in a ship, everything leads up to captain, and decisions the captain makes can sink everybody. <laughs> you know, versus in a family where you know if the head of the family is making bad decisions, you're probably going to be fine if you've got enough independence and have gotten your your things together. So, I would say captain of the ship. Um, because we do we do need to make this machine run. We do need it to work. And the more synergistically we all work together, the much, much smoother it runs. And so that's always the battle um, is trying to keep everybody together. You know, it's always like wrangling cats. You know, you got one off there, oh, no, come back, you know. <laughs> um, just to get the crew really moving at the same pace. You know, if one of my employees is working too fast and the other's working, like even if we're all pacing really well together and someone's being extraordinary, but they're moving too fast, it offsets the entire crew. And so I have to take a sit down with my extraordinary employee and go, hey, good job, but I need you to tone it down just a smidge because no one else can keep up with your awesomeness. Let us catch up, you know, because then, because gosh, when the gears fall apart, oh, it is bad. Um, and, and that's honestly kind of more the norm for most businesses. Most of them don't operate very smoothly or rather most people don't see it until something goes wrong, but it's a constant battle. And so it's, it's nice on days where I can see the team just really vibing together. I, I try to think of us as a symbiotic <laughs> relationship. And so, you know, one of the things that I prioritize at my business is um, being nice to everybody. So, cause and yeah, I always have patients who are like, so nice and so respectful to doctor and then they get out to the front desk and they just lay into them like they are garbage because they think they are and that's sad and some doctors think of their staff that way as well as just replaceable cogs in a, a machine but no these guys are my family and so I think of them like these are this is my arms and my legs you can't just be nice to me and like throw my hand in the fire <laughs> you know and bite that and so you know that's something that we train our patients or we try to is that there are consequences to bad behavior in our practice and we're in high enough demand that, yeah, you can get kicked out. <laughs> so, which is nice. I, uh, I, I when you said captain, I visualize you in a, the Barbosa hat, the big Barbosa hat from Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, which, which, which captain do you think do, do, goes in your head? Ooh, Honestly, like I would love to be more like Captain Picard. <laughs> yeah, all right, I dig it. Captain of all time, and, and whereas it is, I guess it's still kind of like the, everything with Star Trek is always naval with their terminology, so it's still sure. kind of north in space. But yeah, no, I've always admired like, or really a lot of the Star Trek captains. Um, he is Picard's a little bit too perfect, I think, but you know. Um, yeah, I, I always like to start Trek captains, um, you know, they make hard decisions and, but I, I think, I feel like Picard never really made that many mistakes, you know, like, yeah, he made some, but they weren't, they weren't really bad. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Not reality. And so you can, you I, can I, aspire to Picard. I think it's worthwhile to aspire to Picard for sure. Um, I think in my head, I still think of like naval waters when it comes to like my captaining thing, because I think of I think of those scenes where they're trying to get through a storm 
because God, it seems like you're always in a storm, quite frankly, and how that's that's where everything's critical. Things are waving, things are going. Oh my God, there's drama. There's ah, you know, a and lot all of- the time, all the while, all throughout the storm, you're also marrying uh, Will Turner and <laughs> Elizabeth Swan. <laughs> And I, I feel like in Star Trek, as much as I think like, everything's a little bit, in my mind, Star Trek is very calm. Like it never feels as tumultuous as a, a, a ship through a storm, which is definitely very, very much what it feels like to run a business sometimes at at the helm is it feels like you're driving, trying to get this team through a storm. And it's like life or death. You know, you screw this up, like people are going to drown here. <laughs> and so <it's> <laughs> pressure um definitely a lot of pressure and i feel like star trek really didn't it was very calm i mean come on they're they're having fun you know and we have our calms we have our calms for sure where things are going real smooth real nice and then something happens you know there's a leak on the ship (laughs) usually that's in the form of a patient coming through making a big bust and they're like oh i gotta call captain you know and and they know they and they know that I have their back. And so if, if something bad is happening, they know that I'm, their patient's just going to hear the same thing from me and they can't go running to mommy or daddy on that one. But uh, but yeah, you know, knowing that your captain has your best interest in mind inspires the loyalty and gets them to listen. So I, I do think that's important um, to run it that way, that you can't just replace your sailors in the middle of a storm. <laughs> Sometimes you can, but for the most part, I have really low turnover. My staff has been with me for a long time. Awesome. Um, now, when I said that uh, your evolution or your storyline uh, going from optometry to bodybuilder was a step that I would never have predicted. And it's an awesome step, by the way, because it's just really fantastic as someone who uh, doesn't really care about <laughs> what I eat or the exercises that I do. Um, it's been pretty awesome to see your arms become like these monstrous, like, when I when I pictured you now doing an eye exam and being like, oh, can you read the graph over there and then show off your arms as you're pointing at the graph? <laughs> um, what got you into bodybuilding? So what's interesting is like, I think of it more like two lines. So I evolved from optometry to business owner. The actual evolution to bodybuilder was actually from cosplay. <laughs> oh, okay. So, you know, um, cosplayed for funsies for years. It's kind of a very vain type of thing. You know, I'll take pictures, everybody look at me, attention, attention. Um, when Once I got into optometry school, like I still cosplayed a little bit, but it was definitely becoming narrower and narrower, partly because of time to make these things. Um, and also just kind of shifting interests as well. Um, I felt like I didn't really want or need that attention as much as I did before. Um, but, you know, it's always inside you to some degree. And so, um, you know, everybody's always like, hey, be healthy, try things, yada, yada. And so I've always dabbled in and out of fitness. Um, and much like everybody, you know, you start up a gym regimen, you start up some sort of health regimen, and then you fail. And then you try again. And then you fail, and then you try again, and then you fail. Um, it's it's the story of time, really. Everybody has had that. And so for me, the shift was it was the same thing. You know, I just want to be a healthy person. Let me go ahead and start working out, and and um, just again tried, failed, tried, failed. Um, eventually, I I started learning things, the reasons why I would fail. <laughs> 
I think that's important. <laughs> so part of the reasons I would fail is lack of accountability. Um, even now, as you know, far as I've come, it will not take long for me to fall off the train if I don't have my accountability partner with me. Um, but anyway, so I, at some point, I hired a personal trainer and partly to teach me, you know, lifting, keeping me safe. But the other part is I paid for this person, <laughs> you know, God forbid I not show up. <laughs> and so, um, and his interest was bodybuilding. Like he's very passionate about it. His name's Ty. Um, and he quickly became one of my best friends here in New Mexico. Like he's, he's, he's my bro, you know, like he's the guy I love hanging out with to the point where when I go into the gym, it's not always about going in to work out. It's going because I get to hang out with my buddy, you know, and when <laughs> I love him to death. I really do. Like we have, we have the same kind of humor, um, we're, we're, we just, we're, we're very similar in mindset. And so he started out my, as my trainer. And these days we're more like training partners. We've kind of equalized in that sense. Um, we help each other out, you know, especially on, on a lot of our lifts. And we just kind of share that passion for bodybuilding together. It started with him and he introduced me to it. Um, I've always been curious about it. it I knew my personality, I needed some, a goal to work towards. And in weightlifting, you've got four places you can go. CrossFit, which is weird. I wasn't into that. Olympic lifting, which is yeah, something I really still don't get. But the two that I, that I knew about that attracted me was powerlifting, which is just lift monstrous amounts of weight for one rep and try to beat, beat records or bodybuilding, which is less about strength and more about vanity and aesthetics. And so I'm like, do I want to be fat and strong or do I want to be like pretty? I went with vanity. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so that was the, you know, cause I had a choice. I remember that I'm like, okay, hey, what, what, what do I want to do here? And I'm like, let's try this vanity thing. <laughs> so that's how I got into bodybuilding. Um, it was, it's a strange, very strange, strange lifestyle. It's very alien and it's odd because a lot of, I think a lot of people have the wrong idea about it or like they look at you and they're like, what do you eat? What do you do so that I can look like you? And I'm like, this is kind of a full blown lifestyle. Like there is, there's no dabbling. There is no, I'm gonna try this 20% of the way. No, you have to throw everything you have into it to, to build bodies that look like this. No one, no one gets there just half butting it. <laughs> Trying really hard not to swear. <laughs> so, oh no! <laughs> I know. Oh my god. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm like a sailor when it comes to swearing, but being good here. <laughs> but, I was um, going to drop some cussing just then because uh, one of the strangest things that I think is of bodybuilding is the posture, the the positions that you stand in is bizarre <laughs> as you know. I'm gonna say it, bizarre as fuck. I can't handle it. I, I was gonna say bizarre as hell. But the, really, the whole when you spread out your shoulders and you just stand as wide as possible is so weird. <laughs> I'm sorry. No offense. Oh, it's no, bizarre. It, <laughs> it is so weird. No, especially like the the one of you know one of the best postures that everyone loves is you know bikini back pose where it's just butts, just a row of butts. You know, everybody loves that. But if you look at it from the side, you're like trying to like duck it. Like, yeah. <laughs> of like it's it's all perceptions it's all angles and so you film anyone posing from a, the wrong angle it looks hella weird it feels weird 
you know, I think one of the most difficult uh, for me is always side poses because you have to show like your back butt, but also your like other shoulder and your face at the same time. So you, the twist is very extreme. It hurts, like posing hurts. Um, usually when I'm done with posing practice, I am pouring sweat and I am in pain in a way that is sometimes worse than lifting to, you know, lifting tons of heavy weight. It, posing is ridiculously difficult and is in and of itself something that needs to be practiced over and over and is exhausting. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I the posing food. <laughs> I did not know how strange the that butt, I'm, I'm going to say ducking. I think ducking is a great verb for it, where you, you stick out your hind feathers and your spine is just curved like this. Yep. Um, yep. I think the first time I realized how weird it was, was I was watching some, uh, someone I follow on OnlyFans and they were turning around and they were, they were keeping in the duck position as they spun around. I'm like, that looks bizarre. That is strange because I, I get it that you're trying to, you know, you're, you're showing off your butt, but when you're turning around and you see the, the spine in a way where it's like, why are you standing like that? <laughs> Yeah, so um, one of, so each category of bodybuilding has different ideals, physiques, and movements. And so one of the movements for bikini and wellness is called the model walk, which is not in some of the other divisions. It is, you know, uh, face the curtain, four to five steps to the back wall, and then turn around, uh, face the judges, four to five steps forward. And so when you do that walk, you are absolutely not to change your spine position. You had better keep it curved. And so you're walking with a curved spine, trying really hard not to move. So you don't want anything to jiggle and you, you need your glutes to sit high the entire time. Because if you relax your spine, your glutes will drop and it won't look as good. And so, yeah, you're walking with a curved spine. And the best look to show off your glutes is to walk across. So your feet are crossing over like this while you hold a curved spine. It's extraordinarily difficult. No, thank you. <laughs> like I said, it is a strange world. It is a very strange world that is not for most people. And I'm like, y'all just, just don't, don't admire us. <laughs> what I, we do I, is strange. I'll keep, I'll keep that in mind as I'm driving in uh, the drive-through to In-N-Out. <laughs> I will say we, because of the way we balance our diets, we definitely know how to party. Like yesterday I had, all right, what did I have? I had like two croissants. I had at least, I think I ate three haagen yesterday, all in the same day. That was fun. Holy um, crap. I ate two, two Baja shrimp tacos, chicken nachos from Rusty Tacos. I think I ended my evening with like a, big bowl of pho and like yeah no i girl knows how to party god <laughs> damn it <laughs> so yeah like bodybuilders know how to have fun when it comes to food like we're we're very disciplined most of the time and then you see what we eat like on weekends it's ridiculous yeah <laughs> and i'm sorry cool that, that, i thought like whenever, whenever i find whenever i think about how bad my diet is and someone like but you, you have it trained where you can beat that kind of menu and you can, you know, you can take it on and still, you know, murder it. I'm like, nope, no, thank you. I'm good. <laughs> right when you said the two, the, what, three haagen -Dazes? Three haagen -Dazes. It's like the chocolate covered with the almonds and toffee on the outside and the inside is coffee. I used to go with just the almonds and vanilla, but 
they ran out once and I tried the coffee one and that's been my jam ever since. They sell them in boxes of three, six or 12. I usually just want one, but they sell them in boxes of three. So I eat all three. <laughs> of course. Why? I mean, it's the same thing with your, your, uh, your fitness instructor. You paid for it. So you're going to get all three. <laughs> Accountability. Important. It's very important when you're on a strict diet, not to have snacks in the house. And so there's, multiple ways to solve that problem. <laughs> Just eat it all. <laughs> Pretty much. And so I try to get that all out of the, like, yeah, by tomorrow, Monday, there won't be snacks in the house, you know, this. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's cool. You know, I went to a workout today with coach and like, I was, you know, coach's house has mirrors everywhere so that we can all look at ourselves and whatnot. But yeah, no, I'm like, I'm huge, you know, like I'm puffing up, I'm still lean, I still have my abs, my legs looked bigger than they did on stage, um, just because I ate as much as I did. So that's, that's kind of the cool thing is that eating a lot actually makes you bigger as a bodybuilder versus just fat. So uh, do you feel safer from vampires in his house? Why? You said there's a bunch of mirrors, you can catch vampires real quick. I guess so. <laughs> I'm just, that's where, that's where my mind went because I'm not a, <laughs> I'm not a bodybuilder. So I'm like, okay, good. Vampire protection. I, I dig it. <laughs> garlic with, hanging garlic everywhere would be more effective. Sure. Um, what comp competitions have you competed in? So I've only done two. Uh, the first one is called the New Mexico State Open. So that was a local show for me. I did that one back in 2019. That was my first show. Mm, didn't do great, <laughs> but you know, I had a good time. I met a lot of good people. And I think that's what really um, kind of sealed the deal for me for competing is that everyone was so supportive, like all the girls backstage, at, at least in my division, which is figure, I, I think it's a division thing too. Like, cause I hear other divisions aren't the same way, but I swear every girl I've met who competes in figure are like ridiculously nice and helpful and, and just amazing. And so like, you know, you're all lined up on, you know, getting ready to get on stage into the comparison line. And, you know, I just feel this girl behind me. She's like, oh, your thing's like a little bit off. Let me fix that. You know, just like, it's just such a community and backstage. It's all, you look so good. No, you look good. Oh my God. You look amazing. I love your suit. Oh my God. <laughs> so like, It's just a very positive environment. Even though these are girls you are competing against, it's not at all, um, it's not at all uh, that, that, you know, the negative side of competition. This is, it, this, there's such a community among the figure girls and I love that. And so that, that's what kind of made me say, oh, hey, you know, I really enjoy this. I want to do this again. And so, um, but I knew I was small, I was very small. I mean, this is a industry that requires time. You got to put down the hours. And if you haven't, you're not going to compare to the other girls. That's just what it is. And so, um, most recently last weekend, I competed at the Jay Cutler Classic in Las Vegas, which was a much bigger show than the New Mexico show. And that was really nerve wracking. Like I was freaking out. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, how many people are gonna be there that I'm gonna look like garbage in front of? <laughs> so it's a, it's a, and plus, you know, that last few days, you, your blood sugar is very low because you haven't had carbs, you're dehydrated. So your brain starts to unravel quite a bit. <laughs> so. I'm usually a very controlled and calm person. Well, I wouldn't even say that, but yeah, I, I had like the night before I had to leave on my flight, I had to phone a friend because I am losing my goddamn mind, <laughs> which was nice.
that, you know, I was like, I just need someone to distract me right now. So I can't think about how nervous this is making me. Um, for this show, I still didn't do necessarily great, um, but I did place. Um, so I got fifth place out of seven on open. And, you know, like my first reaction coming off was, oh, and then later on, I was like, hey, that was actually pretty good. You know, I beat two other people. And the girls I didn't beat, holy shit, <laughs> they were huge. These girls were, I think at least two, maybe three of them were over age 45. Now, when you're that much older, a lot of times it means you've been bodybuilding for 10 plus years. So they've got 10 years of mature conditioned muscle up against me, who's only done it for two, three years. Yeah, there's no way I could possibly compare to that. And so I'm like, yeah, you know what? If I'm going at, up against someone that huge, you know, I'm good with fifth. I'm good. And and that was fun. So, so yeah, Jay Cutler Classic, huge show. A lot, lot of celebrities in bodybuilding. Again, like celebrities that you wouldn't care about if you're not into the industry. <laughs> but, uh, uh, tell, tell me some of their names so I can uh, pretend like I'm impressed. <laughs> well, you know, Jay Cutler, of course, the show's named after him. Cool guy. He oh, man. Cutler. <laughs> Uh, Flex Wheeler was there selling. Whoa! I was surprised to see Sandy Williamson there. She's head judge for Olympia. I was like, oh shit, Sandy's here. Christmas Fender podium. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, there there are a lot of really big names, like bigger, like definitely, like oh, these are these are the folks that we only like see on Instagram. So that was kind of cool. Um, you know, I got to see Jay walking around a lot. I'm pretty shy, so I didn't really say hi. But, you know, he's adorable. Like, it's funny because you think that, you know, he's this huge dude. But, and he is. He's a huge dude. But he's also kind of short. And so when you're thicker and wider, it just made him look a little smaller. And I'm like, I don't think cute is the word he's looking to be described as. But that's all I can be like, oh, my God, Jay Cutler's so cute. He's so small. <laughs> <laughs> so. They look like Wolverine? Because Wolverine has to be tiny and muscular. That, you know what's so sad is I think that most bodybuilders who hit the Olympia stage are bigger than Wolverine. Like Wolverine is really, like he's too narrow. A lot of these guys are much bigger. <laughs> well, no, but Wolverine has to, he's supposed to be wider. He's supposed to be short and yeah, wide. He is, but like these guys are wider than that for sure. Oh. I'm thinking more like juggernaut levels when I think of most of the Olympians. So if you yeah, juggernaut, if juggernaut was shorter, then yeah, now we're talking um, men's bodybuilding levels of size. But yeah, no, Wolverine's too small even from his muscular standpoint. Um, yeah, if 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 Wolverine got into bodybuilding, best he could do is men's physique. <laughs> he would, <laughs> he would is not. He would not make it to the men's bodybuilding Olympia stage at all. He's just too small. He might not even take the 212 class. Or is, 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 does small. he have to go into vanity? Is vanity his goal? <laughs> to be slender and... <laughs> He's just not big enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of big names in the bodybuilding world, uh, the one that I always think about is Arnold Schwarzenegger. And Arnold Schwarzenegger went into acting. He got his job as Terminator, you know, being the killer robot. And so I want to ask you, if you got into acting, uh, which robot would you rather be, uh, Teddy Ruxpin or Rosie from the Jetsons? I'm not, I'm not familiar with Teddy, so I don't have a frame of reference on that one. So uh, I guess Rosie... Were you, you said Rosie? I mean, Rosie by default, just because I don't know who the other one is. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm going to assume that it's not by default. I, I, I want to assume that you're just like, no, I love Rosie. Rosie took care of the Jetsons, and she had, she had, you know, uh, I don't want to say spark. Uh, what was that? Like a servant, and I'm like, just not that guy. I'd be like more like a RoboCop. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, RoboCop was a servant of the law. Yeah, I guess. But he had power over others. <laughs> you know? So does Rosie. Rosie bossed those Jetsons around. <laughs> she also cleaned up after them. I just, I never. <laughs> it's, it's, it's weird because I think, like, whenever, all, all the descriptions that you're talking about Rosie, I think of also the Terminator. Because the Terminator was a slave to his programming. And he, his, his job is to clean up. His job is to kill the Connors. And so he, he, that, that he's cleaning up. He's trying to fix the future. That's funny. Yeah, like, you know, I, I have a friend who think who is constantly making fun of me for being a little bit too removed from emotions at times. I mean, it, it, <laughs> he just, he's not saying I'm a full-blown robot or anything, but that I have a certain admiration for the efficiency and, you know, objectiveness of robots. And so it, it's funny to be faced with a question of which robot I'd rather be you know, when, when I'm like, yeah, I love the concept of being a machine, but never really thought about, you know, what type of robot I would actually be if I were a robot, you know? Um, so it's, I think I'm, I, I think I'd be more like one of those um, overarching type robots, like the, the center of the hive mind. I could see that because I'm an organizational person. I'm, I'm, I'm one of my talents is uh, coordination, coordinating my team coordinating my life, coordinating my classes, everything down to the minute, my day. I should run through my day. It's a little bit crazy. Um, but yeah, I would, I would be willing to listen to your day yeah, <laughs> if we got time. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's time. <laughs> I'm more of a central computer robot than I am an actual individual robot. So, all right, my day. So, yeah. Sleep. I should be going to sleep at 9 p.m., although I don't always. My alarm goes off at 5 a.m. I typically get actually roll out of bed by 5.20 a.m. I eat my breakfast, which is a quarter cup of oatmeal, although that's going to be changed. One cup of one of a, 160 grams of egg whites and one whole egg. That's breakfast along with my pre-workout, which needs to be in my belly by, by 5.40 a.m. And then by 5.50 a.m., I am leaving the house to get to the gym at 6 o'clock a.m., at which time I'm meeting up with my buddy and we're working out. Uh, we lift weights until about 7, 10 a.m., at which time I need to drop and go to cardio and get about 20 minutes to so 25 minutes down. He'll usually do something else, and then we'll walk out together. Um, time frames do allow for some flexibility, so I do need to be out of that gym by 7.42, give or take. That'll get me home in time to change out and try to get out of the house by 7.50 a.m. so that I can make the 8 a.m. meeting that I have with my staff before we open doors. Go through my day, generally home for lunch at noon. I have, you know, planned meals in, in dispersed there. Okay, yeah, I forgot to tell them, post-workout meal is like protein shake and like seven ounces of strawberries or something, really light. Lunch is three and a half ounces of chicken, although I think that got recently put up to four. Rice was 1.5. I think it's now 2.5 ounces there. That's lunch, 12 to 1. If I can eat it within so much time and it's like 1240, that means I get a 20-minute nap, which is really nice. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and so... <laughs> when, is it, when is it snap? I'm just, I'm, I'm putting it against my day of improv. <laughs> Ideally, a uh, good day, 
when everything's perfect, my nap is from 1240 to 1256, give or take. Okay, I barely woke up. All right, continue. All right. I'm back at the office by one o'clock because that's my first patient of the afternoon. Work, work, work. See all my patients. Um, generally, I'm going to be done with patient care around 445, give or take. Um, during that time frame, I am trying to get down meal number four, which is like a pack of tuna with 20 grams of peanuts. 20 grams of peanuts is like my favorite meal of the day because it's just salty and fatty and it's just lovely. I love that one. <laughs> Um, and then we're going to be adding a protein shake there somewhere uh, with my new my new post show plan. Um, and then we get into the evening. So usually this is where my plan starts to fall apart a little bit. Um, yeah, I, complete chaos. I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> so this is where I start doing more business using, finishing stuff up, and the employees are slowly leaving. They usually leave around 5:30, 5:45, sometimes six o'clock, and that's where they're going, bye, Dr. Ho, please don't stay late. And I'm like, won't stay late. And of course, you know, I'm there till God knows when. I would say- No, when, my... when is God knows when? I want to know what God knows when, because I don't think that you, okay, go on. I'm sorry. I... <laughs> like... It depends. If I have nothing to do the next morning, say it's a Friday night or a Tuesday night, because Wednesday morning is a little bit more flexible. If I have a flexible morning where I don't need to be asleep by nine at night so that I can wake up at 5 a.m., I'll stay till 11 and it's really oh. unhealthy because I got to work at 8 a.m. Um, but this is my baby. You know, and that's what it means to be a business owner is you, you give it everything you've got. But on a normal day, um, if I get out at 630, that's amazing. Seven o'clock, I would say, is my limit uh, where I need to get home, if anything, just to eat <laughs> my my next meal, which is going to be a salad, salmon, like three and a half ounces of salmon, one and a half ounces of rice. That's my final meal of the day, um, and I just got I just got to get that in, and you know, shower, sleep, and all that other gross stuff. During prep, I have to leave work by 5:30 because there's a second cardio session that has to happen, and so prep is kind of good for me because it pushes me out of work. I <laughs> looking at your schedule. Okay, so you you. You idolize Picard, but I, I i mean, some of the things that you said about idolizing also robots and the hive mind, I, I don't want to accuse you of leaning towards the Borg, but you said it. <laughs> I think Borg Queen is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't yes. she the bad yes. guy? <laughs> I thought she was the antagonist. <laughs> yeah, hot robot snack. I can I I I bow to the queen. <laughs> I, I want to be the hive queen though. I don't want to be one of her underlings. And there can only be one queen. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we gotta fight, you know. <laughs> wow, my day. I don't even want to talk about my day because my day is improv. Most <laughs> people are. I'm insane. <laughs> so. Um, cause I go to sleep right around the time that you're going to wake up. So yay. Um, <laughs> and that's not even because of our time zones. It's just because you said 5am. I was like, yeah, I'm lucky if I get to bed by 5am. <laughs> um, so what would you say, what, what words, uh, of advice would you give to someone who is an aspiring, uh, cause I was going to go either dentist or, uh, not dentist, optometrist or bodybuilder. So I'm going to let you decide which, which aspiring person you want to give advice to. 
I would say the optometrist one because that's real life and bodybuilding is not. Bodybuilding is <laughs> What would you give to what would you give to someone who's aspiring to become an optometrist or someone who was plan owning their own business, you know, optometrist business or something? My advice is to be very honest with yourself about the reason you want to undertake something that is going to be very difficult and at times very painful. You will bleed for it. You will sweat for it. Um, Make sure whatever that is is worth it because that will carry you through. And for me, it's always been very clear. I do this because I have a very deep love for the family of that, which is my employees. They were there before me. And if I wasn't there to take care of them, the business would die. And so everything I do is for them. So in crisis times, I remember that. In painful times, I remember who I'm doing this for. It's for them because I love them that much. So yeah, for some folks, it's money. Cool, so long as it's enough. Whatever your reason, it doesn't matter what it is. It has to be enough.